and NICU, you have just a NICU. There's no neuro NICU. There's no cardiovascular NICU. It's just NICU. So we get a ton of heart babies. We get babies that are having some neuro issues going on. And we have to be well-versed in all of that because there's not a special NICU for a certain type of anomaly going on. So we see literally everything. Oh, I gotta go. Hey. I've been working, so them please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this game. Now my fan they can't eat. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cup of Nurses show with your hosts Peter and Matt. Two nurses on a mission to change this world, one conversation at a time. So let's jump right into it. But before that, if you find value in this show and want to join us on this mission, please review the show and share. It would mean everything to us. Cupofnurses.com for the latest merch releases, updates, and everything that's going on. For our lifestyle podcast, check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com. Another amazing guest here. I'd like to introduce you to Alexis Nicole. Alexis Nicole is a registered nurse with experience in the ER, OB, and the NICU. She's also the creator and founder of Nurse Nook. Nurse Nook is a YouTube channel and brand that was created to share Alexis's journey through nursing school and her current nursing experience. She shares both experience and inspiration all along her nursing way. We talk about topics such as working in the ER, the NICU, how to deal with stress and mindfulness. Hey, Alexis. Welcome to the show. Thank you for getting on. Can you give us a little background about yourself and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So thank you guys so much for having me. So I am currently a neonatal ICU nurse. I've been in the NICU now for just over a year and a half. But before that, I have almost five years. It'll be five years this October um, total experience as a registered nurse. I ended up starting in ER, which is totally different from my original plan. So I always tell nursing students that go in school with an open mind. You may have your heart set on one field, but you may, you know, experience something totally different in clinicals that may change your mind. And that's exactly what happened with me. So I had this idea that I only wanted to do NICU. I didn't want to touch an adult. I didn't want to learn adult assessment. I just wanted to strictly work with babies. And one day I had the opportunity to shadow in the ER, the adult ER. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is absolutely crazy. This is so hectic. This is so stressful. I want to do this. (laughs) And so I ended up, when I graduated, I immediately got a job in the ER, thankfully. And I was there for about a year. I was in the adult ER for about a year. And then I kind of got tired of that. When I say tired, I mean a little bit more like burnt out and uninterested. And then I ended up moving to Houston um, to work over here. And then I got a job in the pediatric um, ER. And then from there is where I kind of finally realized, okay, I think I'm ready to move to the NICU. Like I know I've always wanted to do NICU. I kind of got the adrenaline out of my system. But by the time I was ready for that, COVID had hit and no NICUs were hiring. A lot of the hospitals and great jobs were on a hiring freeze. And so the one opportunity that was available was mother baby. So I figured what a great stepping stone from ER to NICU is to work in mother baby because I'll get to learn healthy newborn assessments and I can go from there. And so I did five to six months in mother baby. And then from there, I was able to get a position in a level four NICU. And I have been there ever since. And I love it. What was the biggest takeaway or biggest difference you noticed moving from adults to to peds? Because when I did or or in the NICU, uh, because for me, it was medication is given at such small doses. That was my biggest takeaway when I uh, shadow like NICU or any kind of peed stuff is the dosage is super minuscule compared to what you give to, to, to adults. What's like the biggest difference you've noticed? Right. So definitely the medicine. So. I'm so used to giving a standard dose, especially in the adult ER, you know, you give four morphine, four Zofran, that's just standard across all adults. But now working, when I switched to the PD um, trauma side, everything was like calculated by dose. And I thought that was, that was very new to me. I'm so used to a standard 
dose and having to stop and think and like, okay, wait, let me think about this because I never had to really double check work for calculations because it's a standard dose. However, in peds, we would have to double check the doctors and pharmacies math before we administer the medication. Even if it's Tylenol, you know, you always want to double check, especially in the NICU because you have such a small window for error. PD trauma, yes, but not as much as NICU. I mean, sometimes we're giving less than 0.1 ml of a dose, which is crazy because you can barely see that amount. Like when you're looking at a syringe, I'm like, uh, like, let me pull up my microscope. But definitely um, the medications is one. And for NICU, I can say that working in PD trauma prepared me maybe 10% to work in the NICU. I would say PD versus adult is dramatically different, but NICU versus PD is even more different. Like we almost don't do any of the same things. Really the only skills that are transferable is like maybe starting an IV, straight cathing, things like that. But even starting an IV on a premature baby, you know, a lot of times we start IVs in their scalp. You don't have, you never are practicing scalp IVs anywhere else besides the NICU. You know, you don't go to an adult ER. It's like, let me check your scalp for veins. That just doesn't happen. And so everything is totally different. You know, you're starting IVs on little babies that are sometimes like almost see-through. Their veins are like as thick as a hair. And so things are totally different. It's a brand new world. And I don't think any other area necessarily prepared me for NICU besides like learning time management and, you know, just your generic um, nursing skills and how to communicate in other areas. What is your shift like working as an ICU nurse in the neonatal specialty? So in the NICU, one thing that I love, which I never got to experience in the ER is structure. (laughs) The NICU is extremely structured, like very type A. (laughs) And I actually love that about the NICU. So we work on touch times. So we, you know, a lot of our babies are premature. And so we want to simulate an environment similar to their mother's womb. And so we want to interrupt their sleeping as little as possible. So we work on touch times and touch times are typically either every three or every four hours. So we start our shift with our first touch time. We will change diapers. We will take vital signs. We will do a head to toe assessment. We will start a feed if the baby's feeding. Normally our medications are scheduled during touch times as well. So we will do all of that at our first touch time turn our baby, close the isolate and leave them alone for another three hours. And then comes the next touch time and we'll do it all over again. And we will repeat that three to four times a shift. But you really want to try avoid interrupting your baby if it's not their touch time. So basically our, our days are planned around our touch times. Like when I go to lunch, whenever I do this. So it's, Not that my days are always predictable, but more or less, I know what my day is going to look like at the beginning of the shift if nothing crazy happens, which is nice. So speaking of like crazy, for example, in our ICU, if somebody has, somebody can code as far as braiding down, they could get like a PE or let's just say they get a, um, their ET tube gets clot like a mucus plug. What are things that you see in the NICU that is considered a critical situation? Oh my gosh, every single day (laughs) we have critical situations. So the thing with NICU is there are multiple levels of NICUs. So there's level two, level three, level four. Right now I work on a level four unit, but it's mixed in with some level three babies. And really the biggest difference with level three and level four is surgery. So um, like at our, our hospital, we're able to do ECMO. We have cardiovascular surgery, neurosurgery. We have all those teams in house. Whereas in level two, it's more feeder growers, less critical babies. You won't have babies on vents in level two, maybe some nasal cannulas, but that's pretty much it. And so being on a more critical unit, we have a lot sicker babies. So we have things that happen very frequently. And the thing with babies is when they crash, they crash fast. I have started a shift with a baby that was fairly stable and okay. And by the end of the shift, you know, we were coding. 
really, really fast. And so babies tend to breathe a lot. The biggest thing with our NICU babies is their respiratory, um, their respiratory health. That is really the biggest hurdle that we try to get over. Um, and normally if a baby is coding, if a baby is breathing, it's all like respiratory related. So we're frequently, you know, we put in chest tubes often. We're constantly getting new admissions, you know, 23 weekers, 24 weekers, babies that are like the size of like your palm. We have that happening all day long. So we're constantly, you know, we have a transport team that goes to deliveries and will bring us um, preemie babies or babies with anomalies from like outside hospitals. We'll fly them in, we'll go by ground and, and transport babies in. So we have a lot of, <laughs> there's just a lot of different things going on. And I actually saw a video on TikTok recently, which is funny. <laughs> TikTok is very influential, but I was watching a video on TikTok that really like made me think. And they were basically saying how in the adult setting, you have a neuro ICU and you'll have neuro ICU nurses there. You will have a CVIC and you will have CVIC nurses there. You have like a basically a different ICU for every body system. In NICU, you have just a NICU. There's no neuro NICU. There's no cardiovascular NICU. It's just NICU. So we get a ton of heart babies. We get, you know, um, babies that are having some neuro issues going on. And we have to be well versed in all of that because there's not a special NICU for, you know, a certain type of anomaly going on. So we see literally everything. So in the NICU, these issues with these babies arises from them just being born prematurely. Uh, in the sense of just spontaneous premature birth, or is it uh, more related to uh, like the mother's inability to kind of take care of herself? What's like the, the reason behind these babies coming into the NICU? So I would say the majority of our babies are born premature. That is the main reason why most of our patients are with us. However, we also have a lot of full-term babies that are born with things like hypoplastic left heart. They have... Um, you know, genetic disorders, they are born with no kidneys, they're born with no bladder, they're born with, you know, sometimes missing limbs, like there's, there's a lot of different reasons why they are um, transferred to the NICU, but the main reason is prematurity. And I would say with prematurity, it can go either or. So a lot, I've noticed that um, from some of our like premature patients, some of the mothers have not sought out prenatal care, which is a huge reason why, um, you know, they may deliver early or why they may not know that, you know, the baby may have some sort of um, ailment going on and they're not aware of. And so I would say not seeking prenatal care does kind of exacerbate um, the chances of a baby being born and having to make you. But really, sometimes it's just spontaneous. You can't, you really can't, can't put a reason on exactly why this um, mom went into preterm labor. A lot of times, you know, their placenta erupted or, or they're bleeding spontaneously. You know, there's, there's a ton of different reasons why babies are born premature, and we see like absolutely all of them. And for example, like you're mentioning, if there might be a child that's born with one kidney or no kidneys or bladder issues. Is that something you find out later on or do you know this before the mother gives, gives birth? Typically, we will know that the baby has these anomalies before birth. So parents are usually already prepared for this. They know what, their, um, what the first year of life is going to look like. They know they're going to be in the NICU for a very long time. Typically, we find things out like this because babies or pregnant women get like an anatomy scan. You know, you can see what their kidneys are looking like. You normally know if a baby's going to be born with hypoplastic left heart, things like this. They're usually prepped for. But like I said, if a mom has not sought out any prenatal care, a lot of these things can also be a surprise. A lot because you know you're not always prepared to be spending the first six months of your baby's life in the NICU. Yeah, and then you brought brought up the family that they're uh, like some of them prepared, maybe prepared for like a rough year. How does the how does your interaction with the the family compare to the interaction with a family that you had when you're working with adults? Is there a difference in that? Oh yeah. Oh, I was actually talking about this recently. 
I feel personally, the experience I have had, I feel like families in the NICU have been a lot more pleasant to work with because I feel like they're in such a vulnerable space. You know, a lot of these parents are first time parents and, you know, they're very scared and they just want to be there for their babies. They're obviously that's not an ideal situation. And so I feel that they're almost in like a more vulnerable place, which makes them more grateful for the care that we give their babies. I feel that so many parents are so grateful and are always like pleasant to work with. Whereas sometimes in adults, and I'm necessarily, I don't think it's just that it's in adults, but the fact that I was in the ER, which is very sudden high stress environment, you know, usually when you end up in the ER, it's not expected. Something just went wrong. It's high stress. You've been waiting for hours outside in the waiting room. By the time you get to the room, you're pissed off. You want to see the doctor immediately, you know? So I feel like the, just the setting that I was seeing those patients in um, kind of attributed to them being a little bit more unpleasant. But so far, my interaction with parents of the NICU have been pretty pretty great. I have had very, very few unpleasant interactions with parents in the NICU, thankfully. Let me knock on wood. <laughs> I had this one experience uh, when I was in clinical in NICU back in nursing school. It was, uh, I forgot what the name of, maybe it was called, was it SIDS, like Sudden Infant Death Syndrome or something like that. But basically what, what happened was, or no, no, it was like shaking baby syndrome, I think it was, where the something that happened whatever i'm not sure whether the baby was crying or what but uh what happened was that the baby had like laceration on uh, in her vertebrae like her c column that the physicians were associating with the parents like shaking the baby and causing that causing that that laceration uh, so basically it, it was abuse so what was really hard hard for me was to see that family uh, just interacting with, with that baby, knowing that they basically just almost killed their their baby, and and a baby cannot breathe on its own anymore, it can't do any, anything on its own. It's basically basically comatose, um, and that was like mind blowing for for me to see that that you could do that to your kid, and then in the hospital, uh, you act as if nothing happened, and you're not sure what what happened to it. So do you get cases? Do you get any cases like that? So when I was in the pediatric. Um, ER, yes. Unfortunately, we saw a ton of abuse, which is really, really sad. I mean, we saw some like really hard things, like not only like parents abusing, but also like boyfriends and girlfriends of the parent who's not like that biological parent. That's when the most abuse we saw come from. But as far as the NICU goes, we really only get babies that are born in-house. So if a baby has already been home and for any reason needs to come back into the hospital, they almost never go back to the NICU. They would go to the pediatric ICU. So we normally just keep babies um, that were born there. But yeah, in the PD um, ER, it was it, I saw a lot more sad cases in PDER for me than NICU. It hit me a little bit harder. How do you deal with that? Because for me, when I went home, I try to forget about it. And it's just one of those things where I, I cannot forget. I remember to, to this day, every time I think about NICU or, or PEDS, that scenario comes to mind. I'm just like, 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 like how, does, how does that happen? Even though I, I want to work, work with those kids because I know they're, they're most vulnerable. But it's just... It's just, it would be like super hard for me because that, that, that day and that situation really took a, took a toll on me. I went home and I was, I was like, wow, this world's pretty messed up. But how do you deal with that? Yeah. So that's actually something that, <laughs> so I've been in therapy. <laughs> um, that's actually something my therapist and I were going over recently. Um, how do you deal with the stress of work and how do you release it and, you know, move on with your life? And I learned about myself that I was kind of just attributing things to, oh, this is just work. This is just work and kind of not like processing it and dealing with it. And it would like come up in other areas of my life. So whenever I see something sad now or something that like hits me a little bit deeper, like before I get in my car, before I go home, I really just like sit with my thoughts for a second and acknowledge my feelings and say like, wow, that was hard. Like that was really sad. That made me feel bad. I acknowledge that I'm releasing it and I'm moving forward versus just like trying to like block it out, 
and like not think about work at all. Just like acknowledging like that was tough. This is some hard stuff that I deal with and just kind of letting it go and releasing it. Cause it's hard, but again, we're humans. It's hard not to recall certain things. I mean, there's stuff that I saw my first year as a nurse that I still remember to this day. I mean, we're human. It's not like we can just like totally erase all of our bad memories and bad feelings. That's not realistic, but it's also important to like sit with those emotions for a second and realize like, okay, this is hard. This is tough. Like that made me sad, or at least like talking to someone about it. Like I had a really sad day today, whatever, like (laughs) I'm releasing it. I'm going to get past it versus just like never addressing it. I like that you brought that up because that's a thing in nursing where, hey, let's just go grab drinks after work and just numb the emotion down. So the piece of advice you're giving to all the nurses you're saying is to sit in your car wherever and feel your body and acknowledge the emotion that you just had of the experience and almost thank yourself for how proud you are in a sense of what you went through and just cope with it in a sense. Or how how would you go about processing your emotions properly? Well, that's a whole nother can of worms, alcoholism and nursing, because <laughs> that is something that, you know, you see everywhere you go, every unit. Um, and that's like, it's basically has become like a community way of dealing with like the stresses of your job, you know, like, let's go grab drinks after. But there is a part of community in that, like, aside from like the alcohol, kind of just, you know, sitting with friends that you may have been on the same unit with and just had the same experience with and kind of just like, releasing that emotion so just acknowledging those feelings just makes a huge difference and versus just like you know not addressing that side of your brain and just trying to compartmentalize like okay this is work instead of addressing it I'm just going to put it in like this little corner of my head and I'll think about it when I clock in next whereas you can just like you know as soon as it happens think about it go to the bathroom if you need a second be like oh my god that coat was hard that was heavy i need like 5 minutes to just like decompress i'm going to try some breathing exercises and i'm going to get back to work mm-hmm. yeah luckily it's matt and i travel together for the most part so we always say hey leave the work stuff at work but it's always super nice coming coming home or you know hanging out with matt and like talking talking about your shift if depending if it went you know smooth or, or or not smooth, getting those those words out there and and getting it out of your system definitely helps. But not everybody has the luxury of you know having a nurse buddy like like Matt and I do, where I could just you know talk to him about what happened and he knows exactly what I mean because he's been doing it uh, for such a long time. What are some other uh, habits you incorporate just to kind of stay mindful and and just not think about work so much, just stay healthy and mentally? Um, I am a huge avid reader. I love reading. I recently started, I've been like more recently stressed out. And so I typically read a lot of like self-help and like mindfulness books. And I was getting to the point where I'm like, okay, I just need a break. So I started rereading the whole like Harry Potter series. (laughs) (laughs) I love me some Harry Potter. And it's just one of those things where you know, it's not just watching trash TV. I'm still like sitting in like quiet. I'm still being peaceful, but like, I'm just reading something that doesn't necessarily have any like deep value, but it's just a way to kind of like turn off my brain for a second and like indulge in some, a fantasy world that just makes me feel happy. Do you have a favorite self-help book that you've recently read that's been profound to you? Oh my gosh. I recently read a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F by, I believe, Mark Manson. Yeah, I believe that's the author's name. Amazing book. Totally recommend. The title threw me off a little bit. I thought it was going to be a little bit different than what it was. I thought it was going to be like how to not care about anything. But the, the great thing that he shared was not that you shouldn't care about anything, but know how to care about what's important and so he brought up a lot of different examples on how you know if someone has nothing better to think about or nothing more to care about they're going to get more upset at the little things because they don't have anything like bigger going on or or to in their lives um and that book was that book was very like moving for me because it was very much like you know what you're right and how not to like you know get mad at the little stuff or whenever a coworker is like 
you know, not getting along with you. He used a lot of like real life examples that really like applied to not only like my personal life, but like applied to my work life and things that I could, you know, uh, incorporate into my life at work and how to just kind of like let the small stuff like roll off of you. Yeah, that book is definitely on my uh, to to read list up up next. I gotta. I've been slowly reading. I've been. I'm knocking out like one book in like two or three months. I've, I've been slacking, but I've been trying to trying to catch up for the most part. Be honest, it's like six months, man. <laughs> this one, yeah, maybe this one was probably well because I was reading a book in between reading this book, so I was try, I was like I was like doubling up, you know. That's probably one of my issues. But you you mentioned Alexis, you mentioned that that you're stressed out lately. What's been stressing you out? Is it is it school? What's going on? Is it is it a personal thing? Um, it's just so. I was recently on night shift and I have been off now for a little over a month. And it was just being on night shift for over a year and a half was really getting to me. Like at first I was doing night shift with no problem, but after a while it was literally eating me alive. (laughs) Like I started developing like GERD. I started developing like heart palpitations, like night shift is no joke. And I always, I've never wanted to, I initially used to do night shift maybe like two, three years ago. I got a taste of what day shift was like. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize how bad I felt until I started on day shift. And I was like, oh, I feel like a normal human being now. It feels really good. And then in order to get my NICU position now, I had to start on nights, which I did not want to do, but I'm like, whatever, this is my dream job. I'm going to suck it up. And it really started affecting me. Like it started affecting my mental health, my physical health. I was just like all over the place. And so now I'm luckily I'm on day shift now, but I'm still like dealing with like the after effects and like getting my mind back together from um, being on night shift. So just helping, just like adding these like little simple things like meditating more, being more mindful, reading better books, like kind of just helped like put me on like a better path. I know exactly what you mean because I just got off night shift. I did it for another uh, stretch of a year. And after the first month, that fog that you have when you wake up, when you're a night shift nurse completely dissipates and you're actually flowing every single day versus having this mental fog that you have to almost like clear up to kind of get back to yourself after a day or two. So with all the experience you have as a nurse along with your journey, what's one piece of advice or a few that you would give to nurses or to yourself if you looked back that really resonate with you along this journey? Like for night shift specifically? It could be anything, any advice for new nurses or new grads. Um, ooh, I have a lot of advice. <laughs> this is like, I have a YouTube channel like dedicated all to like advice for like new nurses and, and new grads and just people in the specialty. Um, one piece of advice. It could be five. My advice, one of my biggest pieces of advice that I always share is the learning never stops and you should never stop learning. I literally have a little journal that I take with me to work every day and every day I'm learning something new. And every time I either learn like a new process, a new skill, how to discharge a patient, whatever it is, whatever new um whatever new piece of information I learned, even if it's like a medication I've never given before. I have like a running list of new things that I learned in this journal. And I'm always like looking stuff up. I'm part of the um, neonatal nurses association. So I'm constantly getting updates weekly on like new changes um, in NICU care. That's the best piece of advice I can give is the learning never stops and you should never stop learning because medicine is always changing. There's always new finds. And since I've been in the NICU now for a year and a half, they have made advancements in that short amount of time. And, you know, things we did a year ago, like we're not even doing now because things are constantly changing. So nursing is something that is forever changing and you should always be um, keeping up with that. Another piece of advice I can share is community is everything. And even if you don't get along with your coworkers, find a friend from nursing school, find someone else in the field that you can kind of just kind of vent to and just share similar experiences and ask this person like, hey, how is how do you deal with this? Or have you experienced this before? Just having some sense of community makes nursing a lot less scary and 
it gives you a lot more, you know, of motivation to keep pushing through because sometimes it can be a little scary, especially when you're starting off as a new grad or starting on a new unit, you know, you feel stupid. You feel like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. And so having someone else to lean on or a small community to lean on, to know that you're not alone and to just share experiences with, I think is huge. How are uh, your coworkers, you know, not, you know, talking anything about it, but how is the, the unit dynamics on your, on your mm-hmm. floor? So it's interesting because this is, well, besides mother baby, this is one of the first times that I've worked on like a all female unit because the ER is very co-ed. Um, I, my boyfriend and I actually used to work into a, or we used to work in a ER together <laughs> But now it is all women. We we have 300 nurses on our unit and maybe like a couple are men and it's like split up between day and night shift. So I almost like never work with men at all. And it's interesting because it can be a little bit like high school. You know, when you have so many women in one unit together, you definitely have like your little cliques here and there. But one thing I could say is everyone has been very nice and welcoming to me. Everyone has been very helpful. There is a huge personality difference between like ER nurses and NICU nurses. I feel like NICU nurses are more the type to, you know, like create crafts for you and like make little pretty name cards for the babies and do the footprints and artistic things. And the ER nurses are totally opposite. They're a little bit more like hardcore. (laughs) So it's definitely different. I'm not like the very like artsy, crafty type of NICU nurse. I'm very much like the more like lax type, but it's growing on me. I find myself sometimes like making like little art crafts for the babies. So it's definitely a different dynamic, but I'm learning. Maybe for winter time you can make you know cut out those snowflakes for the for the things and paste them on the doors. <laughs> and it's funny you brought that up because when you work with a unit with more dudes, uh, because Matt and I we worked in a few units where, where there's like a a pretty high uh, male nurse population. Sometimes you just work with more more guys than than girls, and and if you I mean if you have that more guys than girls for like a consecutive few shifts. I feel like guys kind of go same way to like they're like like almost high schoolish, but I feel like guys make things a competition. Like I know Matt back in Santa Monica, you had like the who could jump the furthest. You guys had that, oh, yeah. and then like yeah. like the pull ups. You're always trying to think of something to like like do same in high school. You're always trying to be competitive. So it's just it's like a similar dynamics to women, except this is how how the men do things. You know, instead of like artsy crafty, we try to like compete for some reason. <laughs> who could do the most pull ups? That is my thing to do. That's all. <laughs> totally so so it's super fun you know and it's cool how, how that works and you're it's good that you're able to able to do that in uh in, in that kind of environment because everyone everyone is stressed no matter if you're a guy or or a girl nursing is stressful so it's always nice when you could uh de-stress in those kind of ways that are that are fun but you know more appropriate you could say instead of drinking alcohol yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go <laughs> and i know you also have a youtube channel you're very involved in the, the YouTube sphere. So how did how are you managing your social media career and being a nurse? But before even that question, what made you start YouTube and how did you get into it? Yeah, so I actually used to be totally obsessed with watching YouTube videos of other nurses and nursing students. And it got to the point where I ran out of things to watch from other people because I had watched like every single YouTube video on nursing there was. And so I'm like, let me make my own because if I'm watching it, I know there's obviously a um, a need for it, a demand for it out there. There's a community for it. So I'm like, let me just make my own video and let, like, let's see where this goes. And I thought that my niche was so specific. I'm like, oh, no one's going to really watch videos on how to be a nurse or things like this. And so I initially was like, if I can get 1000 subscribers ever, like, I would have like completed my purpose. That would be so amazing if I could one day get a thousand subscribers. And I ended up getting a thousand subscribers in like a month. And now I'm at like 243,000 subscribers. Sorry, 243,000 subscribers. And so that is like wild for me. If I could have, if I knew that I was going to get to this point years ago, I would have not ever believed you because I was like, oh, no one's going to want to watch my videos. 
but I started making videos in my bedroom in my parents' house. I used to go around the house and take their lamps and take the shades off the lamps and put it in front of me. And that was my lighting. I used to record on my iPhone 5C <laughs> and edit. <laughs> Audio is terrible. Video is terrible. But I had been using that for months. And I ended up like starting to make money on YouTube as well using my iPhone 5C and editing on it, which is crazy. It just shows you, you don't need like the best of the best. You just need to start. And so from there, it kind of just took off. And after a couple months, I was actually making money from it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this can actually be something. And it's something I really enjoyed because I felt like I was kind of like giving back a little bit, like sharing my experience. I know how it felt like for me when I thought I was never going to get into nursing school and how much I wanted to like watch other people that, you know, and think this could possibly be me one day. And so I was doing that for other people and it just made me feel good to share my experience and how I thought I was never going to get in. And if I didn't, if I felt this way, it's okay for you to feel this way too. And so from there, you know, now I'm what, five years in and it's become like almost like a whole second career for me. And it, I'm able now to work part-time as a nurse and spend more time creating content for my YouTube channel, my Instagram, and now even TikTok. But I initially went part-time more so because my shift was getting too much, but it kind of worked out because it gave me more time to focus on YouTube and um, creating content for all of my social channels. And now that I'm part-time, it is a little, or it is a lot easier to manage everything. Um, but now I'm like, I'm almost, I almost have too much free time. <laughs> and now I like find myself like picking up shifts because I am a busybody and I need to be doing something constantly. So like sometimes filming and editing a video takes a couple hours and then I'm like, okay, what now? <laughs> so I think it's, for me, it's very manageable because I've been doing it for so long. It's almost like second nature. It's like film record done in two hours kind of thing. I was going to ask you how you stay motivated, but there's no need to because just by listening to you, you're so passionate about it that that wakes you up in the morning and you already want to do that thing. Yeah, the, I, the thing I will say is that because I am technically my own boss of like my YouTube channel, I work with an agency now who handles like all of my sponsorships. But when it comes to creating content, it's totally up to me. And so it is a little bit harder to kind of wake up and be like, uh, I don't actually film, feel like filming this week. So having like that discipline is the hardest thing because I can get a little bit too lax. And because I have so many different social channels, like I will post on Instagram frequently and, you know, put out content on there. But then I'm like, oh crap, I haven't put out a YouTube video in a couple of weeks. Like I'm behind. So trying to stay on top of like all the different channels, um, is a little bit taxing. So Peter and I, um, and this is a question about the do's and don'ts of social media, because I know with HIPAA, any single time you sign a contract, they say you can't take photos or record or anything like that. It's very strict. So mm -hmm. you as an influencer, where where's the line that you draw as far as maybe the things that you don't talk about or for anybody that wants to start off maybe doing YouTube what are the do's and don'ts for social media that you should be careful of just so you don't get caught up with hospitals and other things? Yeah, so some of the things I had to learn the hard way, but I am better for it now. <laughs> Definitely, I would say never post a picture with your badge. Like even if you can, if, even if you blur out the name of the hospital, if you can see the color of the badge or anything, just blur it all out. Like that's something that um, was told to me by a previous manager where even though I covered the badge and you could not see any name or writing on it, they had mentioned that you could see the color of the badge and that was distinct enough to differentiate what hospital you were working at. Definitely never show your badge. I have in the past taken pictures on the unit like every other nurse 
on Instagram, you know, in the trauma room, not any patients or any information nearby, but just like the setting of the hospital. I no longer do that. The only place I will take pictures in a hospital is in the bathroom where there's no, no type of patient information, no unit, no even patient bed, no trauma bay, nothing like that. It's just like me and just scrubs, which still gives my community like the nursing content they want to see. Like, how do I, what do I wear to work? What, what are my scrubs look like? What is like, what does my setup look like? Um, I still am giving that content, but with still protecting my privacy and not kind of violating any of the unit's policies. And definitely YouTube is, can get a little bit sticky because you want to share as much of your experience as possible, but I never talk about any, I never mention any ages whatsoever. Like I, mind you, now that I'm in NICU, things like 23 weaker, 24 weaker, that is, that's more vague. And it's just like, you know, you care for 23 weaker differently than you care for a 30 weaker. So I say that in more of like a general aspect versus like, oh, I had this baby girl. She was born at 23 weeks and two days old. Her parents, you know, were Hispanic. Like I never say anything like that. It's more so I never mention gender either to keep it even broader. I never mention any specific like disease processes that I take care of. Like I'll, I'll never say like a specific on this day or what have you. I'm just very like general stuff. That way, if a, like a manager or director or someone in, in the unit ever watched my videos, they could never say, you were talking about this patient and we know exactly what you said and you are violating HIPAA because you can never pinpoint from what I said to and connect it to a patient because it's very broad and I never say any specifics. Yeah, it's good to know because Matt and I do uh, every week these nursing debriefments where we talk about our shift, uh, just what we learned on the unit. And I was like, our, our major thing is, is how much could we say, how much detail could we provide before these patients are able to get identified? So that's, that's one of our bigger hurdles as, as well. But how do you manage all your time? You're going to school, you work as a nurse, you're managing your, your YouTube channel and all the social media stuff. How do you, how do you do all that? A planner. <laughs> Planning is everything. Oh my gosh, I'd be nothing without my without my planner. And so I struggle sometimes with my ADHD and my mind is like all over the place. And I think of 500 million things at once. And so if I don't have things written down, I almost am a mess. So I have to physically see everything written down. For example, like a week, like this week, I have like record a podcast with you guys, like things that I want to do. I want to work out on this day. I have to plan my weeks ahead of time that way I can kind of, it almost forces me to get things done. Cause once you write things down, it's almost like a small commitment to yourself. Like, okay, I'm going to have to do this because it's in my planner versus if I'm like, I think I might want to go to the gym tomorrow, but I don't know. Versus like, oh, I'm going to the gym tomorrow. And you wake up with the planner. It's like, okay, I'm going to the gym today, I guess. And so it's like little, just for me, writing things down is what make gives me a little commitment to executing whatever it is i said i would do real quick i think learning it, writing it down works a little bit better than just doing putting in your phone because especially i'm sure you could attest it's like you get so much notifications on your phone where the the, the that, that ding on your phone doesn't become as valuable so you're you're more prone to just kind of looking 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 away at it or not really doing it and then compared to writing it down you're actually physically writing it down and it has more meaning to you than a simple notification on your phone that you always get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And also physically like writing it out helps my memory personally. That's what I did in nursing school. I had to like physically write out some important, important topics. Cause if not, like I would have to read things five times over. Cause by the time I get to the end of the sentence, I'm thinking about something else. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to I'm going to say the exact way. If I don't, I, I forget like everything I, I swear if my head was not attached to my to my to my body I'd, I'd forget it and at work it's not <laughs> as bad because i feel like for some, for some reason at work i'm more focused and adhd isn't isn't as bad you could say but when i'm at home 
I it's I'm I'm a mess. Like I have two whiteboards just so I could you know get more organized and write write stuff down. Because if I don't write it down, the chances of me forgetting it, it's it's basically going to happen. It doesn't matter if I looked at my email ten minutes ago and I want to do something, I I, I forget it. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's funny because at work I'm totally different too. I'm I'm like tuned in at work. But all of a sudden at home, I'm like, wow, there's so much opportunity to do things. <laughs> yeah, and you want to do everything all at once and you just can't pick yeah. one. So it all just like floods your brain and you just you just forget everything. And then you end up doing nothing. Yeah, because <laughs> you just get so overwhelmed. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to do absolutely nothing on my list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. life. And that's why like mindfulness is very important just to distill your mind and calm down. So both like in and out of the workplace, mindfulness, mindfulness plays a key role. Can you recall a time in your life when you finally picked up on mindfulness or maybe felt super stressed? Are you like, wow, I need to do something because I'm not managing my thoughts or feelings, emotions properly? So I actually started meditating seriously when I first moved to Houston to work as a nurse. Um, it had been the first time that I was living alone. I was living away from family you know, that not only starting a new specialty, but I was also living in a new city. I was, you know, totally taken out of my comfort zone. And so that was a challenging time for me. And that is when I really started to get back into reading, meditating. I started learning about like this whole area of the internet called like mindfulness. And like, there's like a whole plethora of knowledge out there about that, that I've never really tapped into before. And so I started reading my first, one of my first, I guess you can say mindfulness books is How to Be a Badass by Jen Sincera. Have you ever heard of that series? That book is what really like jump started me into like this whole like journey of like self-help books and what have you. But that's when I really started like meditating and feeling like, oh my gosh, like this actually is great. This is like free feel goodness without, (laughs) you know, I don't have to do anything but just sit here and just feel, which is cool. Um, And it just poured into every other area of my life, not only like personally and the things I was struggling with, but also in the workplace and working in such a stressful environment, just being able to, you know, take a second and to just breathe and like be with my body and, you know, know that whatever is happening will pass. It was, it was a really cool feeling. Yeah, Peter and I are huge proponents of mindfulness, wellness, and everything we're doing with the Frontline Warriors brand that we're launching because nurses are almost like the new veterans, if you think about it. We came from war, aka the pandemic, and the stress that's always been there. And our government, in a way, didn't really take care of us. Our hospitals didn't take care of us in any way. Nothing changed. So you have nurses that are trying to deal with their emotions or maybe are considering therapy or it's found upon. So we all need to open up the community as far as nurses to self-care. That's where we are the number one priority. And if we prioritize ourselves, that's how we can give back to our patients and other nurses and thrive in our workplace. Right. I think that's awesome. And I think the hospital I'm currently working at definitely took steps to kind of take care of the nurses. So they actually pay for my therapy and they also I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of like the headspace app but it's a small gesture but it it's very meaningful like they have they paid for a subscription for all the nurses to like the headspace app so we can go in and like practice mindfulness and meditation and the fact that I you know therapy can be expensive so the fact that I don't have to pay for therapy and it's covered by my hospital is huge it's just like one thing that's like you know takes a little burden off of me and it's a way to kind of restore myself yeah, hundred percent. I love that. Like, I had this idea of how wonderful would it be if hospitals provided a gym membership for you, for for everybody. You don't necessarily have to, have to go there if you don't want to, but like like a standard thing because I know, especially for guys, one of the ways we get stressed out is by being physical. You know, going to the gym turns my day from me waking up being a little sourpuss to going to the gym. And now I'm thinking I'm the best person in, in the world. You know, that provides a lot of value. Those those little things like you mentioned, the Headspace app that hospitals hospitals aren't doing, but it, it helps. It helps a lot of people. It just like either people don't know that it's out there, and yeah, yeah people, most people don't know that those things are out there. And if you introduce that to to a population of nurses, they're gonna take advantage of it because we are we are stressed out and we are looking for for different outlets of how to relieve our stress. And how cool would it be for your place of employment? 
helping you to get your stress out instead of instead of messaging you every week hey can you come in for a shift how nice right. would it be to, to get a message like hey you know did you go on your headspace app this week hey we have this new subscription program if you pay five dollars a month to us whatever we're going to give you this this and that it's it's something that hopefully there's going to be a, a bigger push for because nurses are, are leaving staff to do travel nursing why because they're stressed out on their unit and they want to make more money so if you want to give your nurses more money at least, at least give them something else that's going to want to make them stay on your unit. Right. I totally agree with you, especially when you said like there's things that might be out there that they might not know about. So like for me, like the therapy that my hospital offered wasn't really like advertised much. I kind of like had to find it. And I feel like it's same thing with like the Headspace app. I kind of had to like find it. It wasn't like, oh, like this is what we're doing. Hi, hi, hi. It wasn't in your face. And so I think if they kind of just like pushed a little bit more of like the benefits that they offer, because there's actually a ton of hospitals out there that do offer free therapy for their employees. And I just don't think people know about it. And so one thing I always say, like you need to go to your HR department and see all the benefits that, are available to you even things like discount programs like I've gotten discounts on things through my hospital even like my phone service things like that that a lot of people don't know about because they're not taking advantage of um the benefits that are offered and it's not only their fault but you know sometimes you have to do the work unfortunately and like look for things that you are eligible for good piece of advice for all the nurses out there go check out HR and see what you can get from the hospital yes Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so Alexis, one last question we'd like to ask all of our guests. So if you had an opportunity to have a cup of coffee with anybody one last time, who would it be and why? What, like in my personal life or just anybody? Anyone. It could be somebody from history, maybe somebody you know now. Oh my gosh, my queen. <laughs> People are going to laugh at me, but I love Oprah. Uh, she is my queen. I really just love what she has done with her life and where she started and where she came from. And she has really built her life up from nothing, which is so admirable to me. And, you know, her legacy that she left behind, she's always poor, mind you, she makes a ridiculous amount of money, but <laughs> she pours into the community by like giving us valuable content. She has made, you know, schools and other countries and I just think she's an amazing woman. And I would just love a little cup of tea with her. <laughs> she's definitely an awesome entrepreneur. She's done so much. Alexis, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Alexis Nicole. Alexis has two A's. And you can also find me for more information on nursing and just life as a nurse on my YouTube channel at The Nurse Nook. Okay. Thank you so much, Alexis. Thank you for taking the time to speaking with us and sharing your wealth of knowledge and we wish you success in everything that you're doing and continue inspiring nurses along their journey thank you so much for having me I had a great time thank you alexis